and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators, home of NARC Troopers. Check out my website at NARC Troopers and you'll find a lot of resources there to help you on your recovery journey. Today's topic is called The Tears of Benjamin. And the question I have is, will God heal the narcissist if petitioned with pure heart, prayer, and faith? Will genuine tears redeem them? The title, The Tears of Benjamin, comes from St. Augustine's The Tears of Monica. Um, St. Augustine said of his mother in his um, book called The Confessions, she had wept over me as one dead, yet cried to you that I might be raised by you. He's speaking to God. We don't always understand why God allows certain events in our lives, why he permits the evils that we endure, why people with NPD are not restored to life, but St. Augustine's witness assures us that prayer is the life-giving work of mercy, where we may accompany the spiritually dead until the Lord, in his mercy and in his time, considers them ready to respond to his call to life. Someone once said to me that she had a vision and that God came to her and spoke to her. And we were both in recovery group together for people who had been married to people with narcissistic abuse syndrome kind of, you know, dynamic going on. And we were married to these disordered people. And she said th that he said to her, he doesn't belong to you give him back. And I think that's something to consider that whatever our good intentions are, they're not ours to fix or to heal or to try to save their soul. That's God's work. And we need to let him do it in his time, in his way, and trust that. The narcissist just doesn't belong to us. And, um, you know, the symbol of Monica is recognized as the patron saint of mothers. And I'm giving this podcast today on Mother's Day. You may be listening to this at any time, but... Um, that, that's the occasion for why I'm talking about this today. It's Mother's Day and, and Monica sort of represents this patron saint of mothers, you know, her faith and her dedication to motherhood played a pivotal role in the spiritual formation of one of the most brilliant philosophers and well-known saints of all time, which was St. Augustine, her son, Monica shed tears over genuine evil. These were not worldly tears of self-pity brooding over failures in her maternal character. 
Neither did Monica blame the harshness of the world for her son's character. Monica's tears were profitable tears, and she sought a remedy in prayer and through a holy bishop. In her grief, she sought to save her son and move him to turn away from his worldly ways. Monica's tearful prayers to God for Augustine would not be lost or wasted. God is disposed to answer our prayers, especially when we seek virtue for ourselves or for others, and we're praying for their souls. Monica was admired for her patience, perseverance, prayerful disposition, and deep faith. The prayers, the tears, the purity of her petition to God on behalf of her child are all admirable and honorable qualities. I believed that my husband possessed both patience and perseverance as he presented himself as a kind and gentle soul. I believe he held a special relationship with the divine as he often served as a conduit or vessel to channel the light in order to heal. He had gifts, you know, just because he had narcissistic personality disorder did not mean that he did not have, um, you know, that he was not tuned in to that vibration, to that channel that he couldn't do that, you know, that he didn't have gifts uh, that he, that he did have. I believed that he had been given this gift from God and could use his special abilities for the forces of good and for the benefit of healing other people. But as the years passed in my marriage to this disordered, vulnerable, covert narcissist, I observed what appeared like the growth, um, you know, his overall growth. And I thought I observed a growth of spirit. It looked like it, you know, he would meditate, communicate with his spirit buddy uh, named Marcus, which I'm not sure wasn't a demon in disguise. And he appeared to have a connection to something greater than himself. Who would have figured, right? A person who is a narcissist, who who meditates and has some connection to the divine. He grew his ability to move energy and see the world through an alternative lens. He could scan a person and see their pain or injury. He could read their colors and aura and vibrations to reveal deep truths about them. And he could just move energy with his hands and connect with others on a powerful vibrational level and even do some healing. I, I witnessed it time and again. And so I thought he was a good guy. I thought he had a working soul. I thought he had the heart and the empathy and the compassion to do this kind of work with groups, you know, they would seek him out and, and in hopes of, you know, I think they were just curious about what he could do, but they thought he was a healer or a helper or something like that, you know, but at the end of the day, I was wrong. He was, he was simply delusional and creating a magical world to support his fantasies and his false self. 
And yes, he had gifts. And yes, he could have done such amazing things with those gifts, but he didn't really use them for the forces of good. And even more disturbingly, towards the end, he said, I don't believe in God. And I thought, okay, if you don't believe in God, then where is this energetic um, ability that you have coming from? Uh, Like, where do you think you got that? He's like, it's my Christ self, you know, I am a God. And I don't believe in right or wrong or good and evil or heaven or hell or any of that. It's all mythology. I don't believe in it. I believe that we make heaven and hell here, now, on earth. I live in the present. I am my own God. I have my own universe. I have my own power. And I just thought all these years, because I was married to him for 16 years, I thought, did I get it wrong for 16 years thinking that he had a relationship with a God that I come to find out he doesn't even believe in? I mean, we went to church. We got married in the church. Um, we got married twice. First in the justice, you know, first just, you know, um, justice of the peace. But then the second time in a church, we went to church on a regular basis. So we prayed together and I, and come to find out he never really believed any of that. He just was um, mirroring me and adopting that those personality and character traits that I had my ethics and my morality he just put it on and wore it for a while but it wasn't uh real and he had no understanding of of what that really is to have a real relationship with and belief in God and miracles and divine intervention and sin and virtue and all of that, you know, just was beyond him. And, you know, that's utterly mind blowing, right? And so then for a while I thought, well, maybe my tears, like, you know, let me back up. Whenever he would put his hands on me and do sort of an energetic healing, This would happen numerous times every week, you know, not every day, but every few days he would lay hands on me and do a healing to like restore my balance and grounding and all of this stuff. Right. And, um, in the beginning, uh, it was kind of a, um, a good feeling. And then in the end it, it was, um, you know, it was not a good feeling when he would do that. It would stab me in the chest and I would have pain and thought he was trying to kill me, you know, with his, with his hands. But, you know, he would always, tears would roll down his face and he would yawn. I don't know if any of you have witnessed that and have an explanation for that, the yawning and the tears when you're healing and when you're channeling energy and stuff but he did that and i thought the tears were i don't know what i thought they were i thought that they were therapeutic i thought that they were empathetic i thought that they were 
um, something that obviously they weren't. I don't know. I have no explanation for what that was. Maybe some of y'all who do know can help me and respond to me with that and enlighten me. It's a mystery, but his tears were not healing him or me or anybody. Um, that's not what that was. And so when I think of the tears of Monica and the faith that she had, that's me. I'm the one that had the faith. I'm the one that wept for him in the end. I am the one that prayed for his soul. I am the one that believed that God could heal him if I asked him. You know, frequently he would uh, ask me, you know, if I wanted to be healed. Like, and, you know, I was sort of an acolyte, I guess is the word, you know, a groupie, a follower. And I would just sit in quiet reverence as he would just put his hands on my forehead and um, sometimes on my chest. And I would close my eyes and, and receive this restorative energy and, and flow that was um, really nice. It was, you know, now I'm thinking it was sort of a mutual psychosis of magical thinking and impaired reality. <laughs> That's what I think. I think that, sure, I, I do believe that we tune in to vibrations and that we have high vibrations and low vibrations and and that we can feel energy and transmute it and amplify it and manipulate it. I Yes, I believe all of that. I don't think that it contradicts my religious beliefs as a Christian either. I feel that that's something that God allows us to have so that we can experience him and that we can experience one another and uh, connect in that way. Um, but... I do think that narcissists have some kind of weird energy and weird uh, vibrational channel that they're tuned into um, because they, ha they, they, they can so easily um, trick other people into thinking that they're legit and that they're authentic when in fact they're not even if they actually believe their own BS at the moment, which they do, they believe their own lies and fabrications and confabulations. They do that, but it doesn't matter. It's still not real. Whether they believe it or not, it's still not real. It's still false. And um, it's not faithful and it's not rooted in any kind of morality or ethics because you have to have, a working inner core, like a soul or some um, identity or spirit part of yourself, spiritual self, to be able to uh, experience God and to understand uh, good and evil, sin and virtue. And narcissists, I do not believe they can do that. I don't think they can. Um, I don't think they can. I think it's a problem for most cluster B. I don't, and I don't really know about borderline because that's not my area of research and study and expertise. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about borderline. They're in that cluster C 
category along with histrionics. I don't know about histrionics either. But I have studied narcissism, psychopathy, and antisocial, like sociopath behavior. Um, and there is an absence of uh, emotional resonance, uh, emotional empathy in all of them. I think the difference, and someone wrote to me recently and said uh, that I, that perhaps I misspoke when I said that narcissists don't have uh, emotions or feelings like a psychopath. And I'm going to still stand by that. If they have emotions, it's emotions of envy, contempt, insecurity, um, shame, uh, you know, negative things, no positive emotions. And so they have kind of a flat effect. They don't experience fear like a normal person. They don't experience love at all. They don't know what that is. Intimacy is not possible. Um, so I'm going to stick with that, that perhaps the psychopath is born with an altered brain that um, prevents them from having those emotional, uh, that emotional range of feelings. And I believe that's true, that they're born that way. But narcissists, there's more studies that indicate, new studies in the last year or two that indicate to some degree that may be a factor with narcissists as well, that there's not that much of a difference Yes, there are some differences, but they might be closer than one might think, and they might be even overlapping. For example, narcissists have schizoid characteristics and delusional, multiple personality kind of constructs that happen within them, and, and it's not really a comorbidity. It's just a feature of the narcissism if it's pathological, malignant narcissism. So... Um, yeah, I, you should check it out. Um, I can try to think, I can try to put up some links on here, but, uh, yeah, there's new studies that would indicate it's not just childhood trauma because, you know, you can have two people in a family, siblings, one of them becomes a narcissist because of childhood trauma and the other one does not. The other one becomes an empath or a codependent or has some addictive personality problem, but they don't become a narcissist. You know, they have other kinds of ways that that trauma and abuse manifests in their life and they don't become a narcissist. So what is the predisposition? What is the, the, the triggering activation event? If they both suffered the same abuse, how come narcissism isn't always the result? There has to be something else. And I do think that it could be, according to new studies that they have, that, the, that they are born, like the psychopath, with some dysregularities in the actual um, the way the brain works. And you can get into all that complicated neuroscience and study that, and I think you're going to see that malignant pathological narcissism can be detected in the brain, even on an MRI or CT scan or something. I would love to have a picture of my ex-husband's brain. I am just as sure as 
sure is shooting. That's what they say here in Texas. I'm sure I am positive that his brain would reflect those changes in it. So back to what I'm saying. Um, lots of it's, it's an evolving understanding because the studies have just not been done on a lot of things. It's like COVID in a way. It has all those viral qualities to it, but above and beyond it being like a virus, it's, it's also like COVID because it's underreported. You know, now people test at home. They don't go to the doctor and report it. We never know how many people are really sick. It's a lot more than what we think because we don't know how many people are testing positive at home. Some people aren't even testing themselves and they have COVID. Um, and it's that way with narcissism. We don't know how many people suffer from the actual malignant pathological uh, version of it. You know, it is on a spectrum. Uh, it's on a spectrum and you might have narcissism light, narcissism light, uh, or you could just be on the deep end and be totally impaired and, and um, you know, non-functioning and out of control, uh, unmanageable narcissism. And um, all of these cluster B things are on that similar spectrum. Um, so that's definitely something to think about. I think we're going to learn more as we go. The more people that seem to have this, we seem to be breeding it and cultivating it and even rewarding narcissism in our world today um, as like a good thing to be because you're certainly going to be the one to get things done. And that's what it's all about, right? Not about being a good person or a whole person, but about being a person who can make lots of money and uh, stomp on the competition. So um, what do I want to say now? Um, so throughout the centuries, many people have been known to weep while praying Others shed tears when they share intimate moments with their divine being. People cry for joy and sorrow. And, you know, they weep from ultimate happiness and from abject suffering. There's a lot of re different reasons why people cry. For many years, I felt a profound peace and strength from those experiences with my husband. Whatever it was, it tethered me closer to this very strange man who shared a life with me and I would touch his face wet from tears and I felt the proof that something supernatural had taken place. I had been, I felt like I'd been baptized in his tears fused into one entity and just bound to him eternally. It was um, beyond what normal people do, right? Um, but things changed. And, um, you know, and when they do, um, the truth comes out. The last year of my marriage, the 15th year, uh, was filled with a lot of intuitive warnings. And I think we get those. You have to trust your gut because it's ancient. It has developed over centuries and and you know your cells you were programmed in the womb by your mother and if she had some kind of horrible generational trauma it was passed on to you and you carry that 
that code for trauma in your body, in your cells, from your um, ancestry. And you also carry um, a lot of other things that are sort of programmed genetically in your DNA. Um, addiction, for example, stuff like that. So, um, you know, I think that it's like, I know that when my ex was in the womb, his mother drank, smoked weed every day, uh, used cocaine. And for a while, uh, you know, of course, you know, the red flags, you see them. I know you, if you have been with a narcissist over any period of time, you know, you saw red flags and you ignored them. You know, your gut told you there is something wrong with this person and you ignored it. I can just almost rest. Just, I'm very certain about that. It happens to everybody. You may not be thinking about it or acknowledging it, but oh yeah, that it, the red flags were there. They tell you right in the beginning, they show you right in the beginning and you just don't want to see, but they tell you. Um, and, and they change towards the end, you know, the different cycles of the abuse. Um, you know, I started thinking that last year he was going to smother me in my sleep or poison me or push me down the stairs or run over me with the car. I mean, I felt that he wanted me to die. And this was the person who still looked me in the eye and smiled and said, I love you. He brought me roses. He would do the most wonderful things, take me to dinner, hold my hand. We'd walk around the block in the evening, holding hands and looking at a, the neighborhood and admiring how beautiful our home was that we had built. It was crazy. The same person that I had this gut feeling wanted me to die was also many times very, very sweet and kind. And it was that, let me tell you, that is a complete there's no other better way to say it. It's a complete mind fuck, uh, is what that is. And, um, this mind fuckery is a completely common characteristic of narcissism. Forgive me for the potty mouth, but there's just not a better word to describe what that is. Um, I could feel his contempt and his wish for my death. And, um, and then he just, one day out of nowhere, just left. So I began to research the different kinds of dark magic and, you know, that could get into someone in different countries they visited. Like he, we had been to Europe right before he left, like the day before we flew back after a three week trip where he had been to Spain and to Italy and places like this. I studied the subtle changes in his behavior since our last trip over there. And I, you know, I even ended up at the doctor for a treatment of some mysterious thing that was probably an STD from his shenanigans while we were there, you know, because we each kind of went independently for part of the trip so that I could have a mother daughter, um, few, few days with m my daughter who, who lives there. I wanted to have a mother daughter trip. So he went off on his own for, you know, five or six days while she and I did that. And yeah, uh, of course the things he did were horrible. Um, 
you know, I did my due diligence and a very deep dive to see, you know, how does a marriage unravel with a narcissist? Our therapist had told me that that's what he was and that, that it was going to end badly. And she warned me about that about three years, three or four years before he left. And I just held on and ignored her like the arrogant, foolish, silly goose that I was. Uh, I was like, oh no, I don't know what that is. What's a narcissist? Uh, it's fine. I got this. We're bulletproof. We've been married like 12, 13 years now and we're bulletproof. It's nothing can harm us. We're going to be married forever. So I did everything I could to be in denial about it and ignore it. But finally it just became so bad, you know, I couldn't. And the, the, the incongruity of his wonderfulness in contrast, like juxtaposed up against how horrifically perverse and cruel and ruthless he could be, um, was more than I could process. It didn't even make sense at all. Um, yeah. So he began to show me in the end and take that mask off. And it took a whole year for things to totally, uh, disintegrate. Um, so towards the end, um, you know, I prayed more, prayed that he would stop and that he would wake up and be healed from whatever it was that was making him act this way. And of course it didn't work. And I, I question again, you know, the tears of Monica, her prayers worked because she was petitioning for someone else. So why didn't, so what did, why didn't my prayers work? My tears as I cried for him, wept for him and prayed for him. His tears were something weird, something from, not from God, not from grace or mercy or connection to the divine. His tears were something else. My tears were genuinely from love, from a place of earnestly wanting him to be healed, to be saved. And, um, you know, she... Um, you know, I'm not comparing myself to her. Obviously, if she were in my situation, she would never have, you know, abandoned everything in her life for a narcissist and then stayed with him for 16 years and watch everything disintegrate all around her. You know, she would have put Augustine first, her son, and she would have run quickly to the exits with a narcissist, but I stayed and I put him first above my career, above my children, above my family, above my, my life, my health, my livelihood, everything. He, I chose him and put him first. And I know healthy people, um, would not have done that. That was on me. That was my um, deficits and wounding and, uh, issues that I had that compelled me to, you know, um, 
bond with someone like that. Uh, it was a very sick dynamic, but it just felt so perfect. It felt, uh, it was very deceiving. It felt like everything I had ever wanted, ever. It was like a dream come true until the really horrible parts came. But, the you know, they would come and go pretty quickly. Most of the time, things were blissful. I had, I was, it was like everything I had ever dreamed of. That would go on for maybe a year. And then he would do something crazy, stupid, perverse, and disturbing, uh, sometimes almost criminal. And we would get past it. And I would say, well, that's the last time he's going to be a weirdo, pervert, crazy guy. And, and then we'd have another good year. And then he'd do it again. That's just an estimate of kind of how that went for 16 years. And good grief, most people would have left the first time because this is some pretty messed up stuff. Not just simple like, oh, I watched a little porn or oops, I cheated. This was messed up stuff. And I stayed. So, uh, <clears throat> so what do I want to tell you? Um, I, you know, I have this story about our last time together that I noticed that something was horribly wrong and um, we were in Milan and we were meeting up because it was in the middle of my mother-daughter trip and we crossed paths. He was in Milan and I was with her and we were doing our own thing at this uh, hotel, special spa place. He was doing his own thing and I said, I, you know, let's, let's meet up and by the Duomo, just let me, you know, we can get some tiramisu and have, have a drink and hang out there for a little bit. And so he met me and the whole thing was just really weird. Got a really creepy feeling. All those red flags and intuitive gut things that were going off all that time. It, they, this was like times 100. I just felt some sense that something was really, really not okay. Um, and sure enough, it wasn't, you know, you should always trust your gut. You know, it, it's right. Um, it's going to tell you something. Um, it's always going to tell you, tell you the truth. Um, so it doesn't matter, you know, what his, that his sickness made him do what it made him do or fail to do. He and all people with NPD are delusional and they are empty vessels, empty that can never be filled. And most importantly, they are without God, without morals, without love and without conscience. That's a fact and you have to accept it. If you hope to ever get through this, you have to accept that, you know, they're never going to get well and they're never going to get better. And it, and the tears like back again to Monica, the, you know, best mother ever who wept for her son and petitioned God and, and he saved him and, and uplifted him to be uh, a leader uh, among people, you know, and all that, you know, I, 
I don't understand how that happens for some and not for others. I'm not comparing myself to her because I know I'm a bad mother for choosing him over everyone else for 16 years. And uh, even though my children were older, uh, two of them were grown and, and off at college and stuff. And the youngest one was uh, in middle school, starting high school. I mean, they weren't babies, but they needed their mother. And I couldn't be there for them and for him. He hijacked my life and a strong, healthy, good mother would never have allowed that. So, yeah, I think that, you know, I don't want to say that it's our fault that, that we lost what we lost, but I do think about that. I wish that I had been healthier. I wish I had had boundaries and I wish that I had known how to walk away when I saw that I was with someone who was not okay, like there's something wrong with this person, they're dangerous, I need to walk the other direction. I, I do regret not being able to do that. And I, I also think we have to forgive ourselves because, you know, it's not like we're bad people and just selfish and chose the narcissist over our families or whatever. I think that they entrance you, they seduce you, they offer something that no one else can because it's not real. It's your fantasy dream version of everything. And it just sucks you in and swallows you up and takes you away. And, um, unless you're just super strong, healthy epitome of, of like all that is great and wonderful, you might not be able to resist if there's anything in you that is vulnerable or, or susceptible to that kind of thing. And, and then, and then there you are. So, you know, even though we were in it, like volunteering, to be in it and stay in it. It's kind of like a person who would get abducted and taken into a cult. Can they really be, um, demonized for being in that cult when they've been brainwashed? I don't think so. I think you have to rescue them and deprogram them. And that's exactly what all of us are trying to do. And I think the reason that the tears that we shed for them and the prayers that where we petitioned God to heal them. I think that they didn't work because they have narcissistic personality disorder and God has some other plan for them that doesn't involve just um, healing them because you've asked them to asked him to, um, I don't know. That That's kind of what I think. I could be wrong, but that's why I think that our tears, our prayers seem to be unanswered when we're begging, please do something to heal him, help him. He's so sick. Please just perform a miracle and make him just be normal person. Heal his brain, heal him, you know, please. And, you know, 
you just pray that all the time. And, you know, I did the same thing when I was a little girl. And, and that is what initially set up this pattern of choosing people who are mentally not okay. It was my mother was not mentally well. And I remember praying for her, like, please let my mom not be crazy. <laughs> Help her not be so destructive to, and hurtful and abusive to me and help her to know how to be a real person and to love me and to see me and to hear me and to validate me, help me to have that mom help her to get well. And you know, it never happened. It never happened. You know, um, she never got well. And then I went on and married some very sick people, did it twice. Um, I guess I was trying to repeat the same dynamics so that I could try to work through it and have a better outcome or something. That's what they say. That's what my therapist says anyway. So with the narcissist, I don't think those tears and prayers and petitions work on them. You know, Augustine wasn't a narcissist. He was a regular guy who was getting distracted and caught up in some things that he shouldn't. And his mom was concerned for him. And so she prayed and, and God listened to her because Augustine was not, um, he had a working brain that wasn't damaged, wasn't brain damaged like the narcissist. So what does God do for mentally ill people? I don't know. I often have this fantasy wish. It's a wish that when I die, if I'm going to see these people again, my mother and other people in my family. And if I'm going to see my ex-husband at some point on the other side, I want them, I, I want them to be healed by God by that point so that they're not still crazy and destructive and harmful and empty and, and dead inside. I want them to be healthy. So when I see them, it's like, Hey, this is the version of you that I had hoped to meet back there when we were living. Glad that now you're okay. Let's hang out and it'll be great. <laughs> and that's my hope because, you know, who knows what it's going to be like on the other side, you know, after we lose our bodies, but I'm a religious person. Uh, I'm a Christian and I believe that we live on and have immortal souls. And I just don't want to be reunited with people who are still mentally ill, who still just don't get it, who still just can't listen or can't hear or see with their eyes or their ears. And they're just lost into some delusional something. I, I, why would it be a, how could that be right? How, how could that be a thing? So final things. Final thing I want to say, if we stay too long in these relationships, if we love them too much, if we hope and pray for them too long, I think it will kill us. Maybe not literally, although I do believe that's possible too, at least spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, it will kill us. And I'm sure of it. I, I'm very sure of what I just said. If they're insane and imaginary world, like in it, 
if if they are heroes and victims then and you know they rewrite history to support their ever-changing narrative and they blame shift any accountability for what they have done so essentially they erase you as if your time with them never existed sometimes decades just poof gone like that and um so you know it's like you never were real to them and in this alternative reality if it you know it's the only version of reality that allows them to survive they can't survive in the real world they have to be in that fantasy in that alternate reality and it's a beautiful tragic world with bright colors and rainbows and everything is like your favorite painting with perfect with ambient light and warmth and beauty I stepped into that world and I lived there for 15 years beside my husband who could not join me in the real world and I lost everything because of that and if you stay if you stay the same thing is gonna happen to you in my efforts to rescue and heal that sleeping child deep inside of him the one that had to be protected by being cast into eternal sleep the one guarded by the false self and shrouded by vicious and ruthless acts to guarantee survival that version of him i sacrificed my own soul and allowed those around me to be burned by the hell fires that fueled it all because he's unreachable and I gave up everything and sacrificed everyone to save him from that, that thing that I could not save him from. Just because they believe it's real doesn't make it so. And just because for a while you believed it too, it doesn't make it real either. Your only hope is to let them go. Silence their voices in your head sever the ties that bind you stop watching them from a distance the way they once did you stop shedding those tears for them the way they once did for you you cannot save them but I hope you can save yourself This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.